Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. In the last normal school year before the pandemic, Black girls in Massachusetts were disciplined in school at more than three times the rate of white girls. Often, Black girls say they are punished for the same offenses for which white students are not. The Massachusetts Appleseed Center for Law and Justice recently released a provocative and important report that looks at the data combined with in-depth interviews from 11 female students of color to explore the unique challenges facing Black girls in school. Melanie Rush is the Director of Research and Policy at the Massachusetts Appleseed Center, which is a research and advocacy nonprofit focused on the school-to-prison pipeline. Kai Hines is a rising high school senior in Weston who has advocated for students of color in her school and worked with various nonprofits. She's also a member of the Community Advisory Board that worked on the report. Thank you both for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. So Kai, you've told me that you're a first-generation American whose family comes from Trinidad and Tobago, and you go to a predominantly white school. How has your race impacted your high school experience? That's a very good question. And first, thank you for having me here with you today. I'm very glad to be on this podcast with you. Um, race has impacted my education and my experience in school in many, many ways. The first one that kind of jumps to my mind is when it comes to support. Um, and especially now, since I'm a rising senior, I'm looking into colleges and careers. So really just noticing the lack of support um, within the educational system. Also, um, as you mentioned, when it comes to advocacy, the lack of support there, as well as um, it's not widely appreciated at my school personally, and I've heard from other students as well. So race plays many roles, you know, because it kind of shapes who I will be, um, and school definitely shapes that too. So thank you. And when you say lack of support, is that in your advocacy work, in your education? Um, I would say in my advocacy work, there has been noticeably less support in the um, college area at school, if that makes sense, like um, college counseling and career paths and choices that, you know, we're going to have to make in the future. There isn't much guidance in that area, especially for students of color. And as you can imagine, thankfully, I'm not the first to go to college, but if I was the first to go to college, there isn't much support in that area either for students, um, for students of color to be able to, you know, fully understand what they have, like the resources, and fully understand understand what steps they can take. Um, there isn't much support. I would say the educational system itself, um, the education and the information is there, but when it comes to teachers and their support, there is support there in the classroom. I would say strictly from an institutional standpoint, that is where the lack of in, uh, support plays in. And Melanie, the thing that led your organization to conduct these interviews is what you described as a high rate of exclusionary discipline, things like suspensions and expulsions among Black girls. And the report mentioned that some of these girls are as young as elementary school. What did you learn? Why are Black girls being disciplined so frequently and at, some, and at such a young age? That is a, a great question. And this report as well, our initial report that we released in 2020 on this topic just focused on Black girls in particular. But this report also looked at uh, Latinx students and multiracial stu students and across 
all types of those identities, there are these very, very high disparities. And as you mentioned, uh, the students we interviewed, 65% of them had first experienced a suspension or expulsion in third, fourth, or fifth grade, the rest in seventh or eighth grade. So these are, these are very young students. And what we saw was that the discipline that they were experiencing was often a reaction to a more hostile or unwelcoming school environment from their perspective. They felt like their curriculums weren't really reflective of their own identities and their own histories. They felt like there were stereotypes being placed upon them, that they were immediately seen as loud or aggressive whenever they were just trying to express themselves. And so when that happens, and in particular, a lot of students talked about when they don't feel like their teachers necessarily directly understand them, their backgrounds, their experiences, and there might sometimes be sort of a lack of empathy or respect there because these stereotypes are being brought into the classroom. So there is this disconnect between their students and their teachers. And then that leads to discipline when these girls react to that environment, when they feel like they are being disrespected, when they feel like they aren't being heard. So many girls that we spoke to, almost all of them said they didn't feel like they had a voice in school. They couldn't express themselves. And yet they're sort of experiencing this hostile environment forced upon them. And so when they react to either a teacher or a student engaging in what might be you know, disrespectful behavior or saying something inappropriate or offensive, when they react, it might be an outburst. It might be a larger response because they face this every single day again and again, this feeling of sort of being um, targeted almost in a sense. And so it's this reactive behavior we saw that was leading to discipline. Uh, there were very, very few incidents from the students that we spoke to where their behavior directly led to discipline. It's about the environment and sort of to Kai's point, it's about an institutional culture that isn't really supporting them, that isn't really seeing them and hearing them. And when they respond to that, the response is, well, let's just get them out of the classroom. They're being disruptive as opposed to working with them, as opposed to trying to listen to them. Um, and we saw that that had a really, really long-term impact on these students as well. So it starts early. It starts when they're in elementary school oftentimes. And then they feel like as a result, when they return to the classroom, they're not necessarily welcome, that there's sort of this label on them being disruptive. And so many girls spoke about how they ended up just sort of shrinking into themselves after discipline and that they felt like they had to quiet themselves, that they couldn't speak up, they couldn't speak out for fear of being told that you are disrespectful, you are wrong, when really all they're trying to do is engage in the classroom. We had students who were just sharing their opinions in class that a teacher might disagree with, and then that ended up getting them suspended because it ended up in a disagreement that was ultimately leading to a larger incident. And so it's about respect. It's about listening to these students and hearing them. And that lack of support is what ultimately we saw was leading to a lot of the discipline. And Kai, feel free to jump in. Um, as she was a part of the interviews that we did, she spoke to many of these students. So I don't want to um, speak for them um, on my own entirely, but that was really what we saw. Yeah, you summed that up perfectly, Melanie. Um, the only thing that I will add is not only do stereotypes weigh heavy on the girls themselves, but it also like follows a trend where I remember one interview where one girl was like, her sister got expelled and a month later she was suspended for an extended period of time. Um, so the stereotypes bear a lot of weight and it, it 
it's there's a huge impact there's just an enormous impact on that you know like imagine a student coming into a classroom and immediately the teacher is reacting more hostile or more on guard with that student with that girl just because they knew that let's say a cousin or somebody else reacted to the environment that is being set up for them and one of the things that you mentioned is curriculum Kai, do you think that curriculums need to better reflect Black history and the Black experience? What have you and your peers experienced on that front? That's a really interesting question because my school is a little unique in that area. Um, how our classes and courses, they change every six weeks. Um, so we don't have like the standard setup, but from what we do have, I've noticed in my school is they separate the, the information and the history. So you will have like a world history class and then you'll have a black history class and it'll be more so elective. Um, and so I think when it comes to curriculum, we as a society need to finally admit that um, quote unquote black history is all of our history. You know, it's not separate. So how at my school they have it as extracurricular or um, an extra class that you can take, it all needs to be woven in together. And I know there are a lot of public schools who don't even have the extra classes, you know, or don't even touch upon certain topics. Um, I know that there are actually a few schools who might still celebrate Columbus Day. So when it comes to curriculum, there's definitely some revamping and um, relooking that needs to be done, um, especially when it comes to like black girls. Melanie, what kind of changes should schools consider when it comes to, to curriculum to make sure that Black students feel welcomed? That's a great question. So um, a lot of the students talked about how if they did get any type of Black history, and, and this was heard from both Black students and multiracial students and Latinx students as well, they all wanted um, a curriculum that sort of, as Kai was just saying, isn't separate. They don't just want to talk about this during Black History Month. Um, but in addition, one of the students in particular said that they really want, you know, intersectional history. They, th when they did learn a Black history, it was frequently Black men they were learning about, and there weren't really that black, that many Black women that they were hearing about. And one student in particular actually spoke out about that in their classroom, which led to discipline. And so the attitude around Black history and intersectional Black history has to be something that absolutely is incorporated throughout the entire curriculum. Um, because as Kai said exactly, when it feels separate, it feels like sort of an afterthought. And what we saw was that the girls spoke in this in these interviews that they couldn't see themselves in what they were learning. It didn't feel relevant to them. Um, some even mentioned, you know, can we learn about how that history then relates to current social movements like Black Lives Matter? They want to engage with the world around them. They really want to be able to see themselves in their curriculum. And it's just disengaging when it feels like they're not being supported. And talking about seeing yourself in school, there's been a lot of talk recently among legislative advocates about the need to build an educator pipeline that results in more people of color becoming teachers. Kai, I'd love to hear your take on, do you think your school experience would have been better or improved if there were more teachers of color? What did you learn from your research? Yes. Melanie, you could definitely hop in on the research standpoint, but purely on the experience and still being in high school, that's a definite yes. Well, it can go both ways. There are, in the interviews that we conducted, there were some um, girls who noted that they did not feel like they could reach out to their teachers of color, 
Um, from my mother being a DEI, I do know that when you are a teacher of color in a predominantly white private institution, there's a lot of stress that comes with that and they expect you to be a certain way. So oftentimes the environment does not um, make room or like uphold or encourage a closer like bond or encourage support from teachers of color. At my school, thankfully, I, my advisor is um, a African-American woman. So love her to death. She supports me so much. And truthfully, if I didn't have her in high school, I don't know what I would have done. That would have been an entirely different experience because if you are already not seeing yourself within the curriculum, right? If you're not seeing yourself within the classroom, if the whole structure of the education system isn't catering to you at all, it's ignoring you, not having somebody that you can like rely on is, is like it takes, many people say it takes a village to raise a kid. You know, and if you are going from class to class to class and all you see are white teachers, that that's like not only emotionally detrimental, but girls of color have a hard time maintaining and building their identity because of that. Melanie, what did you see from all the girls that you spoke to for this report? Yeah, absolutely. Almost all of them mentioned that they wanted more diverse teachers in the workforce and not necessarily, you know, the black students said, you know, I want black teachers, but also I want Latinx teachers for those students. I want more Asian teachers for those students and sort of a, a holistic teaching force that reflected the student body. Um, and another thing that was um, very much asked for was more counselors, in particular counselors of color as well. Um, sort of as Kai was saying, or advisors or administrators in that capacity as well. A lot of students really look to those um, types of individuals for support, as I mentioned. Um, but making sure that those individuals are individuals of color, that they have a diverse background that can really um, make sure that they're best understanding and supporting students. So on both um, perspectives, the students were very, very clear about what they wanted. And they want people in the classroom that understand them and that look like them. And while that's not an end-all be-all to the problem, um, it's a huge step in the right direction. And turning back to the issue of discipline, one concrete example that really stuck with me from the report was the issue of dress code. Mm. Um, Melanie, you wrote that girls with different body types were actually getting disciplined for wearing the exact same outfit as, you know, someone with a different body type than her. Uh, Black students seemed to be disciplined or felt they were disciplined more often than white students. What's going on there with dress code and what do schools need to be cognizant of when crafting or enforcing a dress code? Absolutely. This was something that came up time and time again. And what's really important to note is that we didn't even have any specific questions in our interview about dress code, but it's so influential that it kept coming up when it comes to these disparate experiences of discipline. And what we're really seeing, and I talk a little bit about this in the report, is um, what's happening is that these, these Black and brown girls are being, in particular Black girls, are being sort of adultified, which is a term that's used in this space to talk about how Black girls are seen as more adult, they're seen as more mature, and they're often sexualized at much younger ages than white girls, which is extremely inappropriate. And there are other types of stereotypes and expectations that are being placed on them that are not being placed on white girls. And so I think it's not about changing a particular dress code. It's about changing the way that we as a society, that teachers and administrators think about the expectations that they're putting on these girls. They are still young children and students are not going to be, the students are there to learn. They're not gonna be distracted. It's not necessarily inappropriate. If they're following the same exact 
um, requirements of the dress code as another white girl, then it should not be pulled out differently. It needs to be exactly um, equitable, and we need to make sure that we're not bringing those types of biases and stereotypes into the provision of what should be the same policy for everybody else. Kai, I see you nodding. Is that something you and your friends have experienced? Yes, there's just so much going on in my head because I'm just thinking how the adultification and sexualization of Black girls from such a young age reaches their families. Like, I was trying to think back to a time that I was ever dress-coded, and I remember not even trying to, like, push the limit because of being afraid what would happen, you know? And also, my family being afraid of what will happen, because if you get suspended, if you get expelled, that's your education, right? So those expectations are very well known from very, very young age, unfortunately. Um, and I remember always checking, <laughs> always checking with my mom if something was okay to wear to school. So it, it reaches home. Um, yeah. And Melanie, one th just overall theme that really emerged from your report is that in so many cases, these girls just felt like they weren't listened to in school. They felt like they were disciplined unfairly and the administration or the teacher wouldn't hear their side of the story. Do you think that's an issue that's more pronounced for black students than for white students? And what's behind it? Do you think it's a result of bias? Is there something else going on? That is a really great question and absolutely one of the key themes that kept returning over and over and over again to the students that we spoke to. And I absolutely think it, it is very uh, different for students of color because overwhelmingly, as we've already talked about, there's a school system that feels like it's not really reflecting who they are and they don't feel listened to in general. You know, they don't feel like they can really express themselves for fear of being disciplined regardless of the content. And so once discipline does occur, I think those stereotypes absolutely come into play. And there's this sense of, oh, you're already loud, you're already aggressive. We're not interested in your side of the story. This teacher or this student claims that you did something wrong, that's enough for us. We already are bringing these assumptions to the conversation about what should happen next. And it's irrelevant whether there was any type of context for many um, of these incidences because they're already coming in with these preconceived notions about who these girls are, how they should be behaving, and what they should be doing in the classroom, which it seems like um, these girls are not able to fully participate in and engage in as themselves. Um, and so that was a very, very clear theme. Um, interested to hear what Kai has to say as well, um, but very, I think, um, different assumptions being brought to those conversations for girls of color. Yeah, most definitely. I think one huge thing that I'm also thinking about is oftentimes administrators and teachers, in my experience, don't really expect their students to be able to articulate and say what we need in a classroom. Like, like I feel like when students step up and say, this is what we're missing and this is what we need, it's not often accepted because we're still students, you know, where it's not where we can demand what we need in a classroom, which I feel like it's our classroom teaching us. Right. Um, and so I know that oftentimes I get a lot of pushback when I advocate or when I say we need better programming or you didn't do this or we need this or can we just get some more support in this area? I'm often ignored or often not taken seriously. Right. So that's definitely something that 
would make a lot of people like give up like whatever it's if they're not going to listen to me um and like melanie said what sometimes happens is when girls persist then they're met with discipline right so there's definitely that trend of silencing black girls black black and brown girls and um our educational systems and obviously we can't have a conversation about education in 2022 without also talking about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Your report did touch on that uh, somewhat. And Kai, I was hoping that you can talk a little bit about the pandemic obviously changed education for everyone, but were there impacts that you think were felt differently among black students and students of color overall? Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's definitely a lot of impacts. I think one that I heard the most and experienced the most was then again support. Um, learning online is difficult. So I would say from my school, they could have supported us more in that standpoint. I remember, I know that a lot of people <laughs> say that they didn't learn much from the pandemic year. Um, so there's just that front. So if students aren't really picking up a lot of information because we feel like students aren't, I mean, sorry, teachers aren't properly equipped to educate us online, imagine then like take a step back, the black and brown girls who already don't have that much support in the classroom. Um, it makes me think of that. I think of personally, <laughs> I had to get my teacher's question, um, attention in class. Like I would have to like, try to yell into the mic or stuff like that. I feel like often I was kind of forgetted. So I'd just be on the screen, just watching my teacher teach a class. So I kind of felt a little forgotten. Um, I think the pandemic also brought some truths to light within schools um, when it comes to like the institutional um, attitude or how they kind of set education up for us. There was a lot that came to light in that standpoint as well. I don't know, Melanie, if you want to touch on that. Yeah, I'll just say, as Shira mentioned, we did sort of, a lot of the stories that we heard from students were examples of discipline they experienced pre-pandemic, but we did sort of note places where the pandemic may have exacerbated discipline um, in particular and the trauma that students are now bringing when they return in person and that we have already seen increases in discipline just in the first year back. And so being very mindful about, you know, when students are coming in and bringing the trauma they've experienced, bringing sort of the, the lack of social skills that they you know, have had to practice for a while into the classroom now, um, is discipline and you know, particularly exclusionary discipline the best form of these problems when they've already spent so long away from the classroom? Are there other ways we can support um, students in particular, as Kai was saying, you know, students of color and female students of color who are already in the standard pre-COVID environment felt like they didn't have enough support. Um, so that's something that we definitely tend to touch on, even though a lot of the experiences that students shared were pre-pandemic. And I'd like to wrap up with a final question to you, Melanie, which is you've made the case in your report that schools need to do things like come up with new systems of discipline. You've argued that there are policy changes that should be made on both the state and local level. So what's next? Where do we go from here now that this information is out here? What needs to change? That is extremely important to Massachusetts Appleseed. We are both a research and advocacy organization. So as much as it's very important for us to do these research, put out these reports, 
we are very, very committed to afterwards implementing and advocating for our recommendations. And so we tried to have a number of recommendations in this report that run the spectrum of all different types of people that might be engaging with this research. So at the statewide level, we have a number of recommendations for legislation to really create that type of systemic change, things like banning suspensions and expulsions for young students, as we know that this starts at a very early age or other ways to reform the discipline process. Um, we have recommendations for culture shifts at the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. And we're part of a number of different advocacy coalitions in the educational justice space that continue to advocate with the department directly in order to create those types of changes. Um, we're also very, very interested in working in the individual level with districts and trying to really implement those types of changes for restorative practices or other types of supports for students in the actual schools. And then we have a number of recommendations for individual people, like students, teachers, parents, maybe people listening here. Um, in particular, this report was released with a data dashboard that has um, information on all different types of intersectional data disparities at the district level. So we're really encouraging people to have conversations with their teachers, with their administrators, with their principals about what's happening in their own district and how they can try to create change. And we wanna support everyone in doing that work as well. So if you are interested and you're listening, you can always reach out to Massachusetts Appleseed. But I will say throughout, you know, all of those different types of recommendations that we're gonna be working on, we're also very committed to continuing uh, partnering with this community advisory board because they have made this report what it is. I haven't really sung their praises enough during this podcast, but these students and our other, um, supporters on this advisory board truly shaped what this research became. And so we're really excited for all these different levels of advocacy, whether it's, you know, conducting Know Your Rights trainings or making um, changes in the state house. We are really, really excited to work with all of them, to work with people like Kai uh, to really create those changes. So the work just got in for here. This is truly the beginning for us and for this advisory board. And you can always read more on commonwealthmagazine.org. Melanie Rush and Kai Hines, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.